Do me a favor this morning. Hop to your feet. Let's give a warm Living Stones welcome to my son, Pastor Ronnie Johnson. Living Stones, how we doing? Come on, can we keep making some noise if you're expecting that God's going to speak to you this morning? Come on. Happy Father's Day to all the fathers. I'm expectant. I'm excited. It's an honor to be able to do this. I, uh, I get flooded every time I come back with fond memories. This is the place where I met Jesus. Um, one of the things that I love about Living Stones is the healthy fathers that you have everywhere, um, the, the expectation for healthy marriages and the process to help people facilitate that. Anybody grateful that there's an emphasis on the men in the house, godly households, marriages, good families. Um, I also just want to take a quick second and acknowledge the fact that I got to grow up in an amazing family. And uh, many people don't have that luxury, especially in our culture of broken families, um, loss of this like godly masculinity, um, an absence of fathers. I wanted to just take a quick moment to honor your pastor and my father. I love you so much. And it's a great honor to be able to do this this morning. And uh, man, it's awesome to... I thought I got it all out at the earlier service. Gosh, dang it. Um, but to stand on your shoulders is, is the greatest honor. So I love you. I love you. You guys can clap while I pull it together. Um, this morning, I wanted to teach on something that's honestly been one of the most paramount lessons in my own personal life. So I'm expecting it's a fun thing for me to get an opportunity to preach on. And a couple months ago, I had the opportunity to preach on the unconditional love of the Father. And so on Father's Day weekend, um, I want to talk this weekend about what the love of the Father is and what to expect, what it should bear in the life of a human being. But it comes with a lot of just really tricky emotions. There's a lot of people um, that didn't, weren't pr really properly raised in a household where you had a picture of a godly father. Um, and the downside of living in humanity in a fallen world is even the most godly picture of a father is not a representation of who your father is in heaven. And so even if you had the best father in the world, you still get a skewed picture as if you try to look at the love of God through the love of a father or a father figure. And I, I was preaching this message on the unconditional love of God, and um, a man came up to the front about 46, maybe 50, somewhere upper 40s, early 50s, just weeping. And I had just finished preaching and proclaiming the love of God for human beings. Anybody a human being in here? Yeah, well, it was a message for you. Um, and this man came to the front and he said, I, I grew up in a dysfunctional military household. There wasn't a whole lot of emotions exchanged. And this is the very first time that anybody has ever told me that I'm loved. And I was blown away by that. Um, growing up, I was always told that I was loved. I was always showered with affirmations. And to think about growing up in a reality as a full-grown man, never knowing that you're loved, think about all the ways that that manifests in the life of a man or in the life of a woman who's never been told properly that they were loved. And all of the love that's ever been extended was riddled with conditions. 
That's why we have an epidemic of people running throughout society trying to prove their own identity, prove their own significance, not to the world and not to a father figure like a lot of us think, but ultimately what we're trying to prove is internally, am I really loved? Am I really significant? Am I really special? Am I really valuable? And so we try to climb the corporate ladder. We try to find love in relationships and in sex and in intimacy, false intimacy, always leaves us lacking and wanting the Bible says that sin does one thing, it produces death to the human soul. And so anytime that we're trying to reach for satisfaction, for fulfillment, for security and identity outside the context of God the Father, you're always going to find a cheap replication of the love that you are ultimately supposed to find. And I know that for a lot of us, many people listening this weekend, you grew up having a skewed picture of a love from a father. And so I just want to acknowledge from the very get-go, God knew what he was doing when he stepped into the role. He gave himself the title of father. And I love what it says in Matthew 23, verse 9. It says this, and this is Jesus speaking. He's speaking to some, a, a crowd and some religious leaders, and he says, and don't, don't address anyone here on earth as father. Everybody say Father. For only God in heaven is your father. And what Jesus was doing is he was trying to play with the religious system that was trying to place people in a level of authority religiously in families and society to this position of power and influence, trying to be this ultimate picture of power and prestige that could never, ever live up to it. And so he says, listen, when I'm talking father, and notice it's a capital F, father, he said, you, don't, don't, don't call anybody the ultimate father. You're going to get a cheap substitute no matter how good your father is. I hold the title, the, the, the God in heaven holds the title of capital F father. Which means this weekend, if you grew up in a context where you did not have a godly father present, you're in good company because God goes, I have a remedy for that. Don't look through the eyes of your experience. He's going to paint a picture for who the father is and what the father's love ultimately looks like. If you come in here today going, yeah, but I never got affirmation. Yeah, but my father also didn't tell me that he loved me. Yeah, but my family was broken. What Jesus was trying to get to is if we're not careful by elevating people to a position they were never supposed to occupy, it is a subtle form of idolatry. He's going, listen, you can try to run to this fountain. You can try to get fulfillment and satisfaction from this person, this flawed human. No matter how good they are, they're going to be flawed. You are going to be left wanting. And if you can't find what you're looking for here and you try to get it elsewhere, what it does is it diminishes the value of the love of the Father in your own heart. And it'll leave you thirsty and wanting to find satisfaction wherever you can find it. I love what John 3.16, anybody familiar with John 3.16? We're going deep today. John 3.16 says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever what? believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. So God goes, listen, I love the world so much that I gave Jesus. Those of you that know the truth of the gospel, you go, this is good news. But if I told you, hey, good news, brother, Pastor Dick gave his life for you. You'd be like, why on earth? 
It's the weirdest thing ever. Uh, thanks. You know, like, it, why, why was a death required to show love? Why was a death required as the greatest demonstration of the love of the Father? I want to get into this because it's, it's such a commonly known passage, but I think that we miss the heart of it. And then, then, then God goes, I'm going to make the fullness of my love available to human beings, the whole world. Everybody has access to it. The only thing you got to bring to the table is a word called belief. So what is so special about belief? If I was writing scripture, which praise God that I didn't, if I was giving somebody the greatest gift of greatest value, I wouldn't make the one condition be belief. But I think because we don't necessarily understand the full capacity of it, we miss out on the fullness of God's love and the fruit it was intended to bear in our lives. What is so important about belief? What I love about scripture is that from the first page to the last page, this is the story of a God who because of the love in his heart said, I want to create somebody that can experience the fullness of this love. The, the Trinity is sitting around going, life is so good, we can't keep it to ourselves. So let's create people who can enjoy what we enjoy and have life to the full like we get to experience. So he made man in his image. The Bible says that man fell from disbelief in what God had said. Everything changed when the belief changed. Man said, I will create the world as I see it. I will determine what is good and true. And then the world fell apart. And then the closing pages of this book is Jesus's remedy to our belief issue. There is something special about belief. Lean to your neighbor and tell them there's something special about belief. In 1 John 4, the author is just portraying this picture of God being the fullness of love. He actually goes as far as to say that God is, meaning his essence. You cut him down the middle. He is love. You assess his motives. It came out of love. You can cut his words in two, and it is love at the core. God is the very nature and the very definition of love. And then he goes on in 1 John 4, 16, and he says this. So we have come to know and to believe. Everybody say no. And believe. We have come to know and believe, meaning that there's a difference. Can I tell you that the enemy knows God is real? The enemy knows more scripture than us. The enemy knows the promises of God. The enemy knows that what Jesus did on the cross was the solution for all humanity. There's a difference between knowing and believing. He says, we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. So if we're going to know the difference between knowing and believing, we have to realize that it is different than just going, I've experienced it once. There's a difference between I've, I've, I've heard about this kind of love. See, the problem is a lot of preachers get up on stage and they preach about the lavish love of God and people know about it. But I wonder, do you believe it for you? Have you received it for you? In 1 John 4, 18, this is the, the litmus test of whether you go, do I really believe this stuff? Listen to what 1 John 4, 18 says. It says this, there is some love some fear in love. There is a little bit of fear in love. 
There is no fear. There is no fear. But then he says, but perfect love, meaning the love from the Father, casts out all fear. Meaning that someone who has experienced the love of God, they will watch as their fears are removed. Who removes them? The love of God. And it says, for fear has to do with punishment. Has to do with what? Punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. So he's saying it's not that you haven't experienced love at all. You just haven't been perfected in it. What does it mean to be perfected in it? It means you live a life without fear before God. I I wonder if this message is important for the world, being that this is one of the first times in human history that nearly the entirety of our entire country and nations around the world struggles with something called anxiety. You look at headlines, and what does it provoke in the human heart? Fear. You look at your bank account, what does it produce? Fear. You look at the dysfunction in your relationship from time to time, what does it produce? Fear. It creates disconnection. It makes your heart go, what is going to happen next? I don't think it's going to be good. And the Bible says that what the love of God does in the life of a believer, someone who has put their belief in Jesus, is it changes our outlook on life from presuming what could happen wrong to being expectant for God's blessing and goodness. Come on, somebody, this is good news. I believe that I will see the goodness of our God. Why? Because I believe I believe there's a difference between knowing and believing. I wonder, do you believe this kind of love? I was reading this story earlier this week about a a man named Jan Karski. Jan Karski was um, a courier for the the Polish resistance during the time um, uh, when when, uh, the whole genocide was going on with the Jews in Germany and across Poland at the time the Holocaust was taking place. And they said, listen, we got to get to the bottom of this. We got to figure out what's really happening here. So we're going to send you on behalf of our government for you to get an eyewitness account on what's happening. So they sent Jan Karski, he went there, he took in the sights and the smells, he he got to see what people were going through, he got to see the tragedy that was ensuing, and and it says that it it overwhelmed his mind, that he didn't have a space for it in his mind, so he went back and he told all of his officials of his local government, and they said, you need to go back to the United States, and, and they need to hear about this. And so Jan Karski goes back to the United States of America, he speaks with President Roosevelt and all his officials. And listen to what this says. The tragedy was that these testimonies were not believed. Not because of ill will, but simply because the facts were beyond human imagination. And he's going to them going, no, 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 no. I, I experienced this for myself. I smelled it myself. I saw them say this. I saw them do this. You have to believe me. And one of the officials said, I, I just cannot believe you. I can't do it. And another official spoke up and, and she said this. She said, listen, he's, he, he went on assignment from the backing of our government. The whole authority of our government sent him. It's not just the weight of his own words. All of the authority is behind him in his words and you have to believe him. You can't just assume that he's lying. 
And listen to Frankfurter, the guy who said, I just cannot believe you. Listen to his answer to her pushback. He said, I'm not saying that he is lying. I only said, I cannot believe him. And there's a difference. You see, you can hear a message about the love of God, and I know you've heard plenty of them being under the teaching of living stones. You can hear a message about the love of God. The question is, you can know it to be true intuitively, but has it transferred into belief? Now, I want to talk about what this word believe means in Scripture because there's a, there, there is a, a, a subtle, subtle nuance to this word belief. This belief in the Greek is the word pistis. Everybody say pistis. Pistis. This word means to be persuaded. Be persuaded by. The word persuaded, just to give context, means to cause someone to believe something, especially after sustained effort. So what the Bible says is there's a God in heaven who has carried forth a sustained effort for you to see the consistency of his endless love. What I'm wondering is, have you been convinced internally and persuaded into action to live a life of somebody that goes, he loves me and I believe it. You see, there's a huge breakdown. People can't just go intuitively. I've heard a podcast on the love of God because that won't bear fruit in your life. It is a fruitless work to know something and not be persuaded by it. It's one thing to know that eating salad is good. It's another thing to know it's worth the pain of eating kale to get the benefits. Come on, somebody. Preaching. It's not enough to know. The question is, have you been persuaded through your belief to live and think and act differently? Ephesians 3.14, the Apostle Paul is writing to a church a lot like living stones. And he says this in Ephesians 3.14, he says, For this reason I bow my knee to the Father, for whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, meaning you cannot exclude yourself from being a part of the family of God. He has claimed to you. The question is, will you believe it? He said, that for this reason, I pray to the Father. He says that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you, notice that the emphasis is on God, to be strengthened with power through his spirit. It's not even your spirit. He's like, I'll strengthen you through my spirit, in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, pistis, that you being, listen to this, rooted and grounded in religious rituals. You being rooted and grounded in your own self-discipline, through your drive and ambition, you being rooted and grounded in your own success, you being rooted and grounded in the fun that you get to experience in this life. It doesn't say that. It says you being rooted and grounded in what? Love. It says when you're rooted and grounded there that you may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know 
the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Friends, if the love of God that is being preached doesn't blow your mind, it's not the love of God. If you feel like, I can't wrap my mind around, I'm not saying that you're lying. I just can't believe it. It's not the love of God. It will offend your mind. It, 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 will, it will divinely persuade you to think differently about your life. It'll change everything that you do. You'll wake up going, this doesn't seem right. It almost feels wrong. It feels too lavish. I don't understand. That is the love of God. It will offend and surpass your own knowledge. He says, so that you may be filled with the fullness of God. What? You can be filled with the fullness of God. You can be filled with the fullness of God. I'm going to say it again because they're asking me to. You could be filled with the fullness of God. This is the invitation for humanity to be full of God. And First John says that God is love. To be filled with the fullness of God. And then verse 20, it's on coffee mugs, t-shirts, and post-it notes across America. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power that is at work within us. I used to think this was about me taking hills and making my dreams come true. I used to think that it was like dream bigger dreams because he's going to do more than even my dreams. So how big of dreams can I dream up? What can he do through me? How significant could I become? And he's going, no, 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 no. This isn't about you, actually. <laughs> this verse is actually about the fullness of love, that the love that we could experience as broken humanity would far surpass what we could ever ask or think from God. So he's like, when, you, when, you, when you're broken and when you're hurting and when you're stuck in a pattern, even there you can cry out to me. When you're at the end of your rope and you feel like, God, I can't ask for forgiveness again. I can't ask you to be near me. I can't expect you to want to like me and to be close to me. I know that you love me out of function because you're my father, but I don't know that you actually like me. The love of God meets us on the other side. And just when you thought that you reached the threshold, you realize God's love was already there. Friends, for a broken person like me, this, I can't think of better news. That the God of the universe won't grow tired or weary of me. That I can't exhaust the love of God. I'm not a disappointment to the heart of God. But I think that's why there's so many people walking around riddled with shame because they feel because of what I have done, I am dirty before him. Clean this up. I can't believe I'm still struggling with this. I'm a grown man, struggling with this mentality, this thought process, this pattern since I was a kid. I should be over this by now. He's probably so disappointed. And now we have a culture riddled with shame, riddled with fear and anxiety because they have not comprehended a love that supersedes and surpasses their understanding. I wonder, do you believe it though? I wonder, have you been persuaded internally by it? 
Because I think there's a lot of people that, here's the, here's the trick, you can know intuitively about the love of God, but if what you believe God thinks about you is wrong, you'll never expect it in your life. Like you can know that he loves you positionally, he's father, he's got to love me, I'm his kid, he's stuck with me. But because of what I've done, I don't know that he likes me. You got to be persuaded about what the opinion and the view of God is for you so that you can share in that opinion. The word glory means view and opinion of. So when the Bible invites us to share in his glory, they're going, I want you to share in the same view and opinion that God has. You want to share in God's glory? You got to know what he thinks about you. You got to know what opinion he has about you. The greatest limitation for you receiving and walking in the love of God is what you believe God says and thinks about you. And the problem, I think, with most people is they, they, they feel like because of what they have done, they've disqualified themselves from expecting the best. And I want to read this because the Bible says in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Why did Jesus have to die to demonstrate the love of God? See, man stepped into a sin problem. The word sin in the original language literally means to have no share in. When we chose to sin, we chose to have no share in God's quality of life. We said, we'll make our own. So Jesus had to come and go, listen, because of your behavior, you have made a choice not to share in my love and my fullness of life. But I'm gonna take away your sin. I'm going to take away your inability to have a share in the quality of my life. Jesus had to die so we could experience the fullness of God's love. Friends, this is crazy news. And for those of you that might think that you're excluded from this, this delivery, Hebrews 10, 14 says this, for by one sacrifice, everybody say one sacrifice. One sacrifice. He has made perfect for a little while. He has made perfect forever. I don't know if you know about forever, but it started way long ago and it'll go from way long from now. This is the place in which we stand, not because of your efforts, what you've done or what you haven't done, your disciplines that you've kept up or haven't kept up with. We stand in the place of perfection, perfect tense, won't move, ain't leaving this space. This is mine. I live here. We stand in the place of perfection because of what Jesus Christ did. And he says this, by one sacrifice he made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Anybody sinned since the time that you committed your life to Jesus? <laughs> if your hand didn't go up, use a liar. <laughs> Here's what this means. I, Ronnie Johnson, because of what Jesus Christ did for me on the cross, stand in a place of perfection right now. And when I realize that this perfection isn't contingent upon my behaviors, but it's actually the truest thing about me, it is my identity. When I believe that on the inside, that is step one in God making you holy. 
So if you're standing in a place where you still feel stuck in patterns and addictions and wrong thinking, you're still kicking the dog, doing the drug, smoking the thing, drinking the thing, the Bible says you need to realize that right now in this moment, no matter how broken and dirty you feel, right now in this moment, you stand perfect before the eyes of God, fully known, yet at the same time, fully loved. It's in this place that is your true identity. And from this place, the Bible says that it's actually the, the role of God to produce holiness in you. I don't know about you, but that's so freeing. It seems too good. It seems like too good of a gift. Romans 5.12, you can find this all throughout scripture. Romans 5.12, or 5 verse 1 says this, Therefore, since we have been made right, in whose sight? I'm going to say it again for the people in the back. In whose sight? In God's sight by what? Pistis. Because of your faith, because you've been persuaded, I, Ronnie Johnson, am perfect in the sight of God. Can I ask you a question? If you hold to the same belief as me, that there's no view and opinion greater than the heart of God, what are we striving for? What are we reaching for? If his view of me is that I'm perfect, what more do I need? But I wonder, are you persuaded that his opinion is the only one that matters? That was for me. Since we have been made right in God's sight, by faith, we have peace with God. At rest with God. Because of what Jesus, our Lord, has done for us. Verse 2 says, because of our faith, because we have been persuaded, Christ has brought us into this place. Somebody say, in this place. Right now, in this place, where you stand, where you live, of undeserved privilege. That's where we get the word grace from. You couldn't earn it. You can't deserve it. But I stand here. Why? Because of what Jesus did. It says in this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand confidently. Somebody didn't get it. You need to clap louder. Somebody didn't get that. That's good news. Jesus died for that good news. It says that we confidently, anybody want their confidence back? confidently and joyfully anybody want their joy back look forward to sharing in God's glory sharing in his view and opinions friends I wanted to preach this this weekend because I myself as a father as a Christ follower this is the greatest battle of my soul I live with this infectious desire to achieve, to perform, to win people over, to be liked, to be loved, to be successful, fill in the blank. And what God continues to get me back to is, Ronnie, if you lived as though my view and opinion of you was truly that you are perfect and wholly loved, 
what else would you have to reach for? And I feel like the more and more that I receive this, the people that benefit from this the most greatly in my life are my wife and my kids. They get a gracious daddy. They get a kind daddy. They get a present dad. They get somebody that's not rushing around to the next thing, but he's present and available. Dads, I wonder, are you persuaded? Have you been fully convinced that your joy and your confidence and your standing before the eyes of God has nothing to do with what you earn, achieve, or didn't do? What's amazing is no matter what your track record is, Jesus Christ invites us into this space to restore you and to heal you. But step one is God's going, would you just let me love you right now? For those of you visiting for the first time, there's more laughing and fun next week, so come on back. Can I pray for you today? I want you to get your confidence back. I want some people to exhale and realize the demand isn't on how much you love God, but he's saying, if you let me love you, love will pour from your heart naturally. Jesus, I just pray for every single person in here this weekend. God, you know the mind games we play with our shame. Nobody knows us like us until we realize you do. And in the same breath, nobody loves us like you do. God, it plays tricks with our minds to have a love that doesn't have conditions. And God, I just pray, would you remind some people today that right here, right now, They occupy the space called grace where you lavish your forgiveness and your love upon us freely. We can't exhaust it. We can't outrun it. And the moment that we think we have, we realize your love met us there as well. God, and I pray for fathers in this place, fathers that are are, are reaching and striving for significance and success, and every which way that they turn, it only produces more and more fear, more and more anxiety, more and more lack, more and more pursuing of the same old thing. God, I just pray today, Jesus Christ, would you be the remedy of our souls, and would you have an uprising of people returning back to their grace, returning back to their righteousness, returning back to their perfection that is only found in you. Jesus, you're coming back for a perfect spot bride. It's a bride who recognizes the price that you have paid for us. And you're not coming back until people know. So God, today at Living Stones, would you do a revival work? Restore us to the work that you paid for and did on our behalf. Thank you for good news, Jesus. We pray all this in the precious name of God, our Father, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Who's ready to eat a hot dog, huh?
I live by a mantra. If you don't have boogers in your beard after talking about the love of God, you just didn't do it right. Hey, guys, I love you so much. It's an honor for me to be here. It fills my tank. I pray that you leave refreshed and renewed and recognizing that you stand before God perfectly, fully capable of receiving his love. I love you so much. Dads, happy Father's Day. Eat a hot dog for me, and we'll see you next weekend.